This is a Village Soundcast Network original production. Hi, I'm Mike Campbell, artistic director and founder of Huff, the Halifax Urban Folk Festival. And this is HuffCast, a limited-run podcast showcasing the best and brightest artists coming to Huff this year. Please join me as I chat with artists performing this year's 10th anniversary edition. Our guest today is a Newfoundland now living in Toronto. She's won five East Coast Music Awards over the course of her solo career, as well as Juno and Canadian Country Music nominations with her band Shay and The Heartbroken. Her latest effort, Liquor Store Flowers, has just been released. We're talking, of course, about Davnit Doyle. Hello. Hi, how are you? Is this Davnit Doyle? It is. It's Mike Campbell here. It's great that you picked up the phone. Otherwise... Oh, hi! <laughs> I didn't know you would be calling me. Of course. Nothing but the best for you. <laughs> wow. Jeez, I would have been more mentally prepared. How uh, the hell are you? Oh, this will be tough. This will be brutal. I'm great. I'm great. I think sun's shining out here. And finally, trying to put the oh, f- finishing touches on this huff thing that we're doing. The weather is, I'm in Newfoundland now too. Oh. Uh, oh. Beautiful here. Was, Absolutely beautiful. 25 degrees, sun splitting the rocks. When does that happen? Never. Well, let's talk about you. Okay, yeah. So I was trying to remember when I met you for the first time, and uh, yeah. I can't. Okay. But it was a long time ago. <laughs> not not to give away anybody's age, but you would have been in your early 20s at the time. Oh, I th- maybe even early. I think maybe I met you when I was like 19. Did you? I think so, because my first record came out when I was 19 or ah. 20, and I remember you you being one of the first interviews I ever did. So <laughs> if I wasn't 19, I was very recently 20. Ah. Well, back mm-hmm. in those days, things were much, much different, of course. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, I, was just, I was just becoming accustomed to the East Coast because I just moved out here and... Um, yeah. Uh, I think the ECMAs at the time, the the frustration for a lot of people was that if you didn't have a fiddle in the band, you had no hope of winning anything. So, yes. Yeah. So, Absolutely. So, yeah. So most of the acts that I was dealing with, and even, you know, Great Big Sea in the early days, that was more about, you know, what Newfoundland sounded like to most people. Yeah. What sort of stuff were you listening to as a kid? What was the, what were the things, who were the, who were the songwriters that you remember? I kind of listened to, you know, what my parents listened to, too. My dad would listen to, you know, Willie Nelson and Towns Van Zandt and, you know, Johnny Cash, things like that. And my mother would listen to musicals that she would, she's from Ireland, so they moved to Labrador. And so when we were really young kids, she would take, she would go to New York once a year or twice a year and go see Broadway musicals. And that to her was, you know, that was her kind of escape from, a small, small, small town and she'd come home and wash the dishes on the weekend and be playing these musicals. And my favorite was this musical called Big River. And I realized that it was written by Roger Miller, who is, of course, and it, it, it all makes sense of where my love of the sound of the music that I'm doing, where it came from. It really came from my parents and the music we listened to around the house. And of course, Ron Hines and the wonderful grand band and Figgy Duff and you know, all the music that was home to Newfoundland. And you sang along to all that stuff? I don't, I never really, I never really grew up singing. We, we never grew up in a musical household. We really grew up in more of a 
theater based household. So mm. my dad and all of his brothers and his sister would be very involved in the provincial drama festival. So we would, you know, since I was a little kid, I'd be going to those and staying out till two o'clock dancing and just having the best time. So musically, I really, I kind of went more non-traditional Newfoundland route in that I would, I took voice lessons and I did the Qantas Music Festival and had a very weak soprano. Like I wasn't very good. I didn't have a great ear with, you know, but I enjoyed singing. And I was on Skipper and Company, which was the big CBC show here when I was really young, a bunch. But it wasn't until I was in high school and got cast in the musical Into the Woods. And I was really cast for my acting more so than my singing. I wasn't known for being a really good singer. And it, it was the role of the witch, which Bernadette Peters played on Broadway. And halfway through rehearsal, I just started singing. And then this big, huge, loud voice, you know the voice, Mike. It's the one where your neighbors tell me to be quiet when, yes. we're, at the, <laughs> when we're at the tiki. It's that thing came out of me and it had not existed in my body or it wasn't unearthed in my body until that show. And it, it shocked me and it shocked everybody around me. And that's really how I, and then I started doing some singing around the bars and stuff like that, but it wasn't, well, I didn't grow up with fiddles and stuff like that, unfortunately, uh, in my house, but I wish I did. So did that just come out of you because you were on stage? Do you think? I think it did. It was like this, it was kind of like this essence of me was, I, I wasn't, it's, you know, sometimes you need to do the things that are really, you know, fearful in order to see what you're made of. And I think that was what it was for me because I was singing the first half of rehearsals and I was bad. I mean, I was really quite bad. It was high and I couldn't, it was so weak. And, it, and then all of a sudden I, I uh, discovered this thing and it was, it hasn't, I've learned how to pick my moments with it, which is good. It only took me 23 years. <laughs> <laughs> but I have. I did learn it. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, and you've been doing it for such a long time now. Um, it was just, you know, reacquainting myself with, uh, um, you know, with all the albums that you're involved in and stuff. And, you know, your solo, your solo stuff is good. But I think, um, you know, not until the Shea Project... Um, yeah, you know when things really started to come together, and I find it interesting that, Absolutely. Uh, um, uh, you know, I've talked to Sherry about the whole experience, obviously, but taking taking a bunch of people who, in some respects, find themselves, you know, not competing personally but competing professionally mm-hmm. for audiences and stuff, and then thinking, Absolutely. yeah, and then thinking, you know, the uh, the sum would be more than the equal of just the parts put together and. Uh, that project always really, uh, uh, I thought it was such a smart idea to get the people together because the voices blended so well and you're combining songwriting talents and stuff. Uh, did you find it to be an easy thing or was that like a, no, no, we're putting this band together, screw you guys? Uh, no, I, it's so funny. The moment we did our first live show, when we walked on stage and it was not an inspiring show. It was like, you know, those Walmart, it's like you play for the employees at Walmart because you want rack space or whatever. That was our first live gig, I think. And I remember walking on this little stage in the warehouse of Walmart and looking at the two of them going, Oh yeah, I found my home. This is it. I like, I like to collaborate. I'm, I'm a collaborative person. I like to bounce things off of people. And we really had a great run. And who's to say that it's, you know, done. I mean, we're in constant contact, myself and Kim and myself and Tara and, and, 
we're always, you know, I'm at the point now, it's funny, I went and played a couple of shows with Broken Social Scene, which was amazing. And Kevin was just asking me last week, he said, so what do you want to do next? And I was like, I don't know. I said, I'm just going to follow where my joy is. And that's why I drove down to Jackson Jake's Broken Social Scene tonight, you know? Right. Um, so you never know. You never know if that's, I'd love to sing with those girls again. And enough time has passed that if we were irritated at each other, that's long, long gone now. And I loved it too. And that was, I mean, it really was smart and, and a special idea. And I thank, you know, Dean Cameron for that. God rest his soul. Who was mm. the head of EMI? He passed away this year and, you know, it really was him seeing that, him having that same thought as you just said, going like, I think that there's a, that there's a way here where these girls aren't really getting the traction that if they did it together, it would be, it would be very powerful. And it, and it was, and it, and it, you know, who knows? Yeah. I remember seeing a bunch of shows and uh, getting that same feeling that, you know, the audiences in the room and nice theaters and mm-hmm. great sound and great players. And Kevin Fox, I think, was the oh, yeah. band leader there for a while. Yeah. And now, of course, it's interesting because Sherry's gone back to the playbook for Port Cities and that's working yeah. out incredibly well for them. Absolutely. Also. Absolutely. They just needed a reality show where she can be the narrator. (laughs) (laughs) I did used to watch that reality show and because I knew everybody, it was triply funny, especially whenever Sherry had to appear on screen because she hated it so much. Too funny, right? If I had to go watch it now, 10 years later, which I wouldn't (laughs) because I don't like to look at myself, I would watch it just just for Sherry because she she really emerged as the star of the group. <laughs> well, speaking of groups, and you mentioned Willie Nelson right off the bat when you were in Shea, you had a chance to tour with him. What was that like hanging out with one of your heroes? You know what? It was it was really incredible because he was so kind. I remember one day we went on the bus to sing for him. Um, and we sang a song that myself, Kim and Tara, the three of us wrote. It's an acapella song called Ocean of Sorrows. And that Tara's actually performing in her show in Charlottetown at the at the Mac called Atlantic Blue. And we went on his bus and I had my eyes closed the whole time. And at the end of the song, I opened them up and there were tears running down Willie Nelson's face. Now, if that doesn't spark joy, I don't know what does. And then every night at the end, he does this gospel set where he sings I'll fly away and will the circle be unbroken. And so every night we got up and stage and sang with him. So a month ago, I was supposed to be in Vancouver for some board meetings and it was my kids' kindergarten graduation concert. So I flew home a day or I, I changed my flight like the week before to fly home a day early. And then I said to Kim, I was like, oh, I can go to the Willie Nelson show because he did an outlaw, outlaw country tour there. But it was the night that I, I was supposed to be away. And so Kim got us tickets and she got in touch with Willie's wife, Annie, who's a wonderful person. And Kim has kept in touch with her over the years. And she was like, oh, well, you guys girls have passes. And Kim said, you know, backstage passes. Kim said, no. And he said, well, I'll hook you up. So a month ago, Kim and I went backstage, hung out with Annie. She brought us on the bus to see Willie. And, you know, Annie's a real cool sharpshooter. And she said to Willie, Willie, do you remember the girls? And it was like a five-second pause and then he his eyes totally opened up he said yes yes i do you know it took him a couple of seconds because right. it had been you know 10 or 11 or 
12 years. And, but he absolutely remembered. And then next thing you know, we're singing with him on stage, the same set a month ago, <laughs> which was really an incredible experience. I'm looking over at Stockwood going like, is this really happening again? This is so awesome. <laughs> and it was great. It was I, amazing. Again, another, um, another um, collaborative experience. We've been having those conversations yeah. today with uh, Matt Mays, who's going to be playing with um, uh, with Matthew Sweet and his all-star band. And No, are you kidding me? I'm not oh, kidding you. Oh, my. He's playing guitar? <laughs> oh, yeah, he's playing lead guitar. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah, he's like... That's going to be amazing. Yeah, he's losing his mind over that. Oh my God, I bet he is losing his freaking mind. <laughs> and you're going to be, your all-star band is going to be the Novaks, which just a happy accident that, you know, Newfoundlanders oh. playing with Newfoundlanders. But oh, yeah, you, I can't wait. I love every single one of those guys and they're amazing musicians and I, I, I just can't wait. Yeah, I'm, I'm seriously looking forward to it. So, you know, that'll be your headlining night on um, yeah. August 3rd. 30th, that's the Friday at the Carlton. But you're also going to be playing at songwriters circles uh, to open yeah. on the uh, the other two nights uh, on sa- on Saturday with Alejandro Escovedo. So you're going to be in a songwriters circle with with uh, Matthew Sweet and Paul Murphy from Winter Sleep. From Winter Sleep. And the next wow. and the next night you're going to be in a songwriters circle with Christina Martin and Alejandro Escovedo. How? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I have two words to say. Thank you. Oh man. I'm just Thank looking forward to so seeing much. I'm just looking forward to seeing what happens. Like uh, I tell people all the time that the shows, the headlining shows are always spectacular because it's mm-hmm. this great collaborative effort between musicians in Halifax and these great great songwriters from elsewhere mm-hmm. who'd never be here otherwise. But the mm-hmm. opening songwriters mm-hmm. circles are worth the price of admission every single time. Like I'm constantly oh amazed. And the other thing that I always love doing, and I'll be keeping my eyes open when you're doing it, is looking on the faces of the uh, other headliners because they generally yes. have no idea who the locals are. They're, yes, they're assuming absolutely. they'll be good, but they're always like, yeah. holy yeah. shit. That was yeah. great. Oh, that's so exciting. <laughs> that was oh, great. great. So tell me about uh, a bit about this um, this new record of yours, because, you know, you were doing stuff with The Heartbroken. This is a yeah. d- departure from that. I just, it, it, it's a, I mean, I think it's just the record that I have been trying to, or that I knew was inside of me since I was 21 or 22. And I was standing side stage at Steve Earle with Corey Tepperd. Is I got a gig uh, opening up for Steve Earle across the country when my first pop record came out. Mm. Corey was playing guitar with me. I didn't even know how to play guitar at the time. And he sang, the first night he sang the song Goodbye by Emmylou Harris that's on the Wrecking Ball album, which is one of my favorite records. And when I put it together that he had written that that song for her and just the legacy of the intertwining of all the people that I had loved. And I was like, if I want to stay in music, that's what I want to do. I want to do it like that. I want to make, you know, it wasn't called Americana music back right. then, but that's what it was to me. And I knew I wanted to do that, but it took me 23 years to learn how to do it <laughs> or 22 years to, cause that stuff, 
you know, unless you're a savant, it, it doesn't, you know, to, to really have the life experiences under your belt to ha- right. to tell story songs, you know, yeah. uh, I, I just needed to, to live a lot. And so I really felt like I needed to get this record out, out of my body because I felt it had been in there writing itself for a really long time. And sometimes when you're writing, you can kind of keep this protective shell around you. And for this record, like for the first song, that's what you get. I remember being in the session with my two really good girlfriends in Nashville and going, no, 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 we're not saying those things. We're not. I said, I need to hurt more. This is, I need to crack open my ribs and like just have a punching session at my heart just to go, who cares about the craft? Who cares about all of those things, you know, that you learn when you really study songwriting? I said, I want to throw all those things away. And of course, you hopefully you have some of those underlying things in the songs that you write, just, you know, the craft itself. But I, I just wanted it to be so truthful, just things that I would never say to another living human being. And that's what I did on a, a lot of this record. So I'm, I'm glad it's, I'm glad I, I'm glad I did it. um, (laughs) Well, it sounds good. But it was painful. Well, you know, it was one of those, one of those, you know, really interesting happenstances because I was out at Sherry Jones's place and, you know, Sherry doesn't live like in Hamilton or something, you know, if you're in Toronto, she's really a five, 10 minute drive from my house, but it seems to take us, you know, like a, a year before we can figure out a time where we can just hang out. So we yeah. went out to Sherry's place yeah. for dinner, and uh, she had the new record, and she played it for me. And like the, the first track jumped out, and then it was like, Jesus, why don't we ask Dav to play off? Like, this record oh, sounds so great. Awesome. Thank you. But if it hadn't happened like that, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it, it's not like I don't remember you, but I don't see you anymore, you know, so it's not top exactly. of mind. So that was like such a great coincidence for me. And then... Oh finding out that uh, Mick Davis is going to go see your show in Newfoundland. And then I was like, oh, yeah, maybe those guys would do that. That would be great. It's just I cannot wait to play with that band. And I can't wait to this festival because, you know, so many people I know have played it and just raved about it and raved about the whole collaborative experience. I, I, I love that. I love that. I can't wait to. Well, I'm glad that you've heard about it. We've been sort of. Thank you, Sherry. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm glad you feel that way, that you've heard a few things about it, because, you know, I've been in this town for a long time and for a great many of years, a great many years, it was, um, you know, pound for pound, uh, including live performance spaces and everything, probably the best city in the country, uh, you know, with the possible exception to St. John's. But. It's been a wasteland out here recently, you know, it's just acts don't tour yeah. here and we have to get creative to bring the talent here. But I think it's, you know, really important to bring these artists who would never, ever otherwise get here uh, and suck them into coming and playing here. And then they invariably I, love it. Well, I wanted Nova Scotia yeah. tourism, you know, I think I pitched them at one point and I said, yeah, 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 but we get these artists here. And maybe it's a long shot, but maybe somebody writes a song that was inspired by Halifax or something. And that's worth, absolutely. you know, that's worth way more money than all the stuff you're throwing at the usual things. Oh, ab- oh, and when, and when you see where those dollars are spent, it's ridiculous. <laughs> like Matthew Sweet is 70% going to 
going to play sick of myself. <laughs> Maybe. Right? So oh, yeah. this is, I've already got my angle to know what the set list is going to be because I'm going to message Matt and just see, so I hear you're playing in the band. What songs are you learning? Just so I can get mentally prepared. You should sing on that. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? Oh, my God. You should get up at guest vocal. Do a guest vocal on a I tune really or two. Did. Fuck yeah. Yes. This is I'm going to find out what the set list is and, uh, <laughs> and look down. Cause he's, he's one of my favorite artists too. I, I, and Alejandro Escovado. It's amazing. Yeah. Well, Al's, Al's been here before. The year Al did it, um, we didn't have rehearsal time at Joel Plaskett's studio built in. We didn't have yeah. any of that. Uh, Alejandro yeah. met his band at Soundcheck. And, oh my God! Oh yeah, and it was, the, the band was uh, Tim Jim Baker, Adam Baldwin on keys, Serge Sampson on bass, Ryan Stanley on lead guitar. I think we had um, uh, Melanie Stone and Kim Harris as backup vocalists. Oh my so God! It was a, well, they don't need a rehearsal. So, so it was a big <laughs> outfit, and they just did one. Wow. They just did one run through at soundcheck day of show, and then did the show. Now you are going to have you are going to have way more luxury than that kind of shit. You'll have actual oh, time great. to rehearse. But that's yeah, now you were talking about, um, you know, not having enough experience in life to really write the kind of stuff that you were hoping to do that you that you wanted to make this record. Yeah, but you've had a bunch of stuff happen. I mean, you moved to Toronto. Um, mm-hmm. You were trying to have a kid, and you couldn't and adopted one and then immediately after that got pregnant what the hell were you thinking oh my god i have gotta tell you so we were we were told it was a one in a million shot that that i would get pregnant so i kind of grieved that for two years that that really took the wind out of my sails and then you know we started all processes to have a have a kid and then uh, my husband and I were standing in our kitchen on a Monday night, having a glass of wine. And then the call came through. It was our lawyer going, you've been chosen to be parents. And we'd really, we'd, you know, had a couple of experiences where we got our hopes up. And then, you know, so we said, we're not getting our hopes up. This is probably not going to happen. And then, of course, that was a Monday night. We got the call Thursday night. Our daughter was born, which was incredible. And then. Three and a half months later, you know, I'm looking at Greg and I'm like, I'm really tired. And he's like, I'm tired too, because we were doing that thing that stupid people do, which is when you have a new baby, you both get up in the right. night, like the baby wakes up to you. But it's like, and everybody told me at the time, that's very stupid. You need to, <laughs> you need to take turns, but we weren't doing that. So I was like, I'm really tired. And he's like, me too. And I said, but I'm really tired. And, you know, I, I wasn't getting any sympathy from anybody. And of course I had my whole trimester. I was, I probably got pregnant around the time my daughter was born. So three and a half months after my daughter was born, I found that I was already three and a half months pregnant. So my kids are eight months apart. So I kind of feel like I got my life back a little bit now. They're five and six. Mm. They're both almost six. So the first couple of years I was in the weeds, just, I mean, that was, I went from, you know, at that time, I remember when I got that call, the heartbroken, we were, we were planning on recording our second record. We were potentially going to Nashville to record it. And, and then it was just like 360 and, or 180, right? 360 would get you right back to the That's beginning, exactly but true. 180 and, 
<laughs> and it was, it was, a, you know, it was a challenging couple of years for sure. And now I just feel uh, like I've had a bunch of life experiences that have allowed me to be very, very vulnerable where maybe I wasn't before. And to be less of a people pleaser and to let just be myself and not really care what the outcome of that is. Cause I've done, you know, a lot of work to get to this point. And, um, so I feel really good about things and I don't know what's going to happen next. And, and that's actually okay. Nobody knows what's going to happen next. I know my kids. Okay. So, <laughs> So uh, we they're at a ballet camp here, a dance camp at a, my girlfriend's studio, and uh, so I went to pick them up. And my my friend was saying, "Okay, bye, girls. We'll see you tomorrow." And then you know, and then one of the girls thinks, "There's always tomorrow." And then my other daughter says, "Unless you die, in that case, there is no tomorrow." So <laughs> that that is what's going through my. I'm like, Jesus. Oh my God. Well, we do know where you'll be at the end of the month. Absolutely. You'll be, on, you'll be on Halifax, Nova Scotia, having the time of your life. I can't wait. This is what I'm saying. This is what I'm right saying. Now. But before I let you go, um, yeah. uh, um, this is not like a, you know, stop the presses thing, but it was one of those things, I think it was following something you were saying on Twitter, and it's like, yeah, you know what? I don't think I'm going to, I don't think I'm going to drink anymore. And I was like, Davnit Doyle? is not going to drink anymore. And I was like, that's yeah. completely fine, of course, but it's not necessarily yeah, yeah. <laughs> a phrase I was expecting. I know. I know. It's been almost a year. Wow. And it feels, honestly, for me, I realized I was drinking more just because it was a habit. Right. And it was conditioning. That's what you do. You go to the, you go to, after soundcheck, you have a drink and then yeah. you have a couple of drinks for the show. Yep. Then during the show you have to, and then after the show you go to Mike's house and then, <laughs> you know, so, but then I, I, honestly I'm 43 and I've got two young kids. Right. Physically. My, okay. When I turned 30, my body stopped rebounding <clears throat> in the way, like I could go to the ECMAs for 10, 15 years, stay up till six o'clock in the morning, five nights in a row, come home to Newfoundland, Stay up till six o'clock in the morning, five nights in a row. I do never want to leave a party, and I'm the exact same way. The only difference is I don't drink. I bring my non-alcoholic beer. I take it into bars with. I sneak it into bars with me. I I take it places. I just have this light bulb moment where I was like, oh, not only is this, you know, I'm I don't have the energy to exercise. I just I I I made it for the physical changes. I, I made the choice because I didn't feel great. I woke up every day just like, why did I drink? Why did I have a couple glasses glass of wine last night? I didn't even want it. You know, I just found I was in this like mindless pattern of of drinking because it's around all the time in this industry. Mm. And, and I just woke up and I said, I just, you know what? I don't want to do that anymore. Like literally I woke up on a Monday morning in New York city after my anniversary weekend, we had a great time. I mean, with Soho house had cocktails had blah, 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 blah. And then I woke up Monday morning. I was like, okay, I'm done. That was enough for me. <laughs> and then, you know, obviously the first month or first two months, first couple of months were so challenging, so hard. Um, just because everything in this business is having a drink. Oh, Rehearsal, let's have a drink. Writing, let's have a drink. Show, let's have a drink. Yada, 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 let's have a drink. 
so they were, it was everywhere. And then, you know, after a couple months, after I did everything once, which was my first gig, first conference, first, you know, writing session, all those things that, you know, I'd used to drink at. Hmm. Once I did that once, it was like, oh, not only was that okay, the next time I did it, it was easy. And I feel great. Like now I, I get up, like I get up in the morning, I go to hot yoga or I, you know, go to the airport and I feel great where everybody else around me <laughs> looks like they've been run over by a tractor trailer. Dragging but I still cans. stay out till three o'clock in the morning. Ah. I still, like, I still, I, I still go out and have a great time. I just physically and mentally, you know, like all musicians, I, I wouldn't say all musicians, but I'd say 97% of musicians, that's creative people suffer from some level of depression and anxiety and, you know, mental health issues. Mm-hmm. and. The, I was really, my anxiety, like since I had kids was really ramping up. Like it was just because you're on your fight or flight is happening at all times, especially in the way that we had kids where it was like, boom, boom, boom. Ah, now you have two babies. Um, <laughs> that my anxiety was really high. So I really stopped drinking because I wanted to feel physically better. But my God, my levels of anxiety and depression have gone down so much. It's, it's, it's outrageous actually. Uh, so I, I felt great in my decision and I, I never waver in it or, or think, Oh, literally it's now just like, I collected all the, all the evidence for 20 something years of why maybe I should drink. Cause you know, it made me so crap the next day. Mm. And now I'm collecting all this evidence to go like, Oh, wow. <laughs> this feels great. Well, as you probably, I never would have thought it either, Mike. So you know, we're both shocked. Well, hey, well, congratulations! I think that's great because my another one of my friends, who's the life of the party, stopped drinking and everything actually a bunch yeah. of years ago. That's Steve Poltz. Oh wow! And Steve Poltz is Poltz is you know, most people would never know that he doesn't drink or do drugs yeah. because it yeah. just seems like he must. Yeah. But he hasn't for years, and he's a yoga freak and all the rest of it, and he's probably the most creative guy I know. Oh, so yeah. I absolutely. think that's not a. I think that's a good path. I think it's a good path. Yeah. And if it, it, you know, it's a good path for longevity. Like in right. terms of now, I'm looking at oh. What am I going to do with my life? What am I going to do with my music? Where am I going to go next? What path is going to be next? How am I going to, as opposed to a year ago, I was like, I'm so tired. <laughs> <laughs> and, ironically, so and ironically, the album's called Liquor Store Flowers. I know. Well, now looking back, you know, someone said, this album is all about, I said, no, I didn't write it about that at all. But now looking back, it's like it was peppered in there, you know, all these all these references where I was already, I was already doing my own internal investigation. I think about booze and that investigation is now closed. <laughs> well, I'm glad to hear that you can still stay up to three o'clock in the morning. Cause we're going to, oh, we're going to, uh, and I will be doing that repeatedly oh, or right. maybe just once, maybe just once. Cause my kids are going to be in town and right. my husband, but we were, we're planning it. Being well, we'll do it for old time's sake, if not for nothing else. And uh, <laughs> that's the only reason. That's a good, the best reason to do things for old time's sake. <laughs> well, thank you very much for taking the time out of your busy mom schedule, Dav. Oh my God! Thank you so much. Congratulations on the new record, and we're all thank you waiting. Thanks so much. I cannot wait. With open arms. I cannot wait. We'll see you very shortly. Okay. Thanks, Dav. Appreciate thank it. You. Bye. That's our show for today. Thanks to our guest, Davnet Doyle. 
Also, thanks to Joel Plaskett for the use of our theme music, Village Sound, and to you, the music fan, for giving it a listen. This was a Village Soundcast Network original production. 